Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for the view from the opposition. And this week it comes from Steve Rielsen of the MEN, one of the Manchester United writers down there in the Northwest covering the club. Steve, how are we doing? Good morning, Andrew. Not too bad. It's raining in Salford as usual. Uh, usually rains in Manchester. Um, but looking forward to the match at the weekend. It should be a cracker at Old Trafford. Yes, fingers crossed. And we are recording this before Manchester United's Europa League game on Thursday. So obviously in that time, they may pick up injuries and what have you. But um, just to make that clear to you guys watching and listening. Uh, Steve, just explain to us what it's like in the Manchester United camp at the moment. Because looking from the outside in, it looks a little bit disjointed, a little bit uh, not united, but then you actually look at the form and the form is actually pretty decent in the Premier League. Is there a bit of a misgiving um, from those who don't follow Manchester United that religiously that things aren't all rosy in the camp? Yeah, I might surprise you and say, I would say it's a bit optimistic. It's a little bit positive. Obviously, you had that really difficult start um, with Brentford and Brighton and, and don't get us wrong, that was horrendous. Everyone thought, oh, here we go the same thing as last season because last season was a train wreck the worst season points total wise Premier League for for decades for of all time so this season was always going to be a, a transitional period I know that's a bit of a cliche um obviously with Ten Hag coming in in the summer um but he needs time it's he's going to need patience to get it right obviously he spent quite a bit of the money in the summer I'm sure we'll get on to that um but after overcoming Obviously, those two defeats, there was talk of, I think, Ten Hag doing running drills and whatnot for players at Carrington. And he, he got a response. Uh, I don't think many people expected United to... I'll, I'll refrain from calling them United. I'll correct myself there because I know I'll get some stick from the Newcastle as listeners. Man United um, at home to Liverpool. Um, I'm not sure people expected Man United to get a result that day. Um, and obviously, they went on that run, didn't they? Four wins on the bounce, which is pretty impressive. But I think the thing is about those wins... The style that they were getting them, it's it's been counter-attacking football. It's it's been sitting back and using the pace of Rashford, and that's not the style that Ten Hag eventually wants to see. Um, and I guess that's the thing that with this season, it's going to take time to see that style. And in games against teams that will sit back and, and do play deep, that's when Man United tend to struggle. And um, they've never been really a side that can kind of unlock a defence, and they do kind of go frustrated. And sometimes the crowd can get on the backs in those scenarios, but I'm watching Newcastle this season. I don't imagine Newcastle are going to sit back. I think uh, we'll give them as the same amount of threat on, on Sunday. It's it's interesting, is it? Because in our uh, preview episode with, with John Gibson, I said in that that it's, it's, it's a little bit strange to be going into this game as a Newcastle United fan, not fearing Manchester United. Usually down the years, you think, oh, well, you know, a point would be, would be brilliant. And it would be a good result on, on Sunday. But I, I think Newcastle stand a really good chance of, of picking up all three points because they are now a side that don't show any fear. They are confident in their ability to match or better the opposition, whereas previously it was very much, well, Manchester United are a top side, so if we if we get beat by one or two goals, that's, 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 that's a good day at the office. It's not the same anymore. 
the standards have have changed and it's 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 really refreshing to see how do you think Manchester United are going to handle this you know this kind of this rebirth of Newcastle United the way they're playing the 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 unity within the, within the camp and just a general all-round good atmosphere at Newcastle United I mean credit to Eddie Howe because he seems to do a marvelous job doesn't he I mean you look at the stats under under Steve Bruce and kind of the progression that Newcastle have made over the last season that's been fantastic for them um, in regards to United, Man United, I'd say I did it again. They'll have to keep us right across the podcast. Usually, he's used to speaking on our podcast back at back at the MEN. Um, but they will be confident going into the game. I know there's been a blip, obviously, in midweek last week. It wasn't the best um, at Ammonia. They beat them three two. Um, then Everton was first half performance. I'd say was one of the best actually um, under Ten Hag. Pressing really high, good intent. Um, obviously, it faded a bit in the second half, but they defended well, and I kind of appreciated that. The spirit of performance but in terms of newcastle i think yeah they'll have a go won't they on sunday and i think well in the, the respect to do you know they've made great progress they're now they've got the quality of the her teams i was just chatting to one of your colleagues actually this week from the chronicle and i was discussing that and you've got players like st maxman who's brilliant i don't know if he's going to be fit for the game um but he'll be up against diego dallo he'll start a right back and despite his improvement this season dallo he's definitely vulnerable uh defensively 100 and and that's an area i'd say newcastle could get some joy um, but yeah, I think Ten Hag, he's, he's maintained in his press conferences that Man United will go into every game expecting to win. Man United will expect that on Sunday and they'll want three points, but it won't be an easy game. Obviously, Newcastle just behind Manchester United in, in, in the Premier League table, just one point uh, separates them, which is which is fantastic from a Newcastle United point of view. You mentioned there the way Manchester United played against Everton, especially in the first half, you know, pressing the opposition now Newcastle did that against Brentford, uh, which is kind of the way that they're, they're, they're approaching most games this season. Is that the same for Manchester United? And if so, is there a risk that the two teams may cancel each other out? Do you think? Well, I think, as I've just said, across that kind of winning period, Ten Hag had to kind of adopt a more pragmatic approach just simply because you know, after those two embarrassing defeats against their uh, Brighton and obviously particularly Brentford, uh, he needed to change. They were far too vulnerable, they were far too open, and it was quite naive the way I think he was looking to play. I think it was similar to the way he played at Ajax, and I think he got a bit of a bit of a shock really trying to play that in the Premier League. But yeah, they're trying to be on the front foot, just like Newcastle will be. So it'll be interesting to see how obviously the contest develops on Sunday. But I think that should play into Man United's hands a bit because as I've just said before, they do tend to struggle against low block teams. And if Newcastle are, you know, coming out and stepping up and I think we've saw that happen. We're under Newcastle playing a high line now. It's gradually the moving up the pitch, and that'll give space for Rashford to get in behind or for Anthony to get in behind, who I'm sure we'll discuss a bit more. I mean, on the flip side of that, though, if Newcastle do press as they they have done this season, how do Manchester United's defence handle that? If they face that against other teams this season, where they have been pressed, if they're trying to play it out from the back. Newcastle can definitely get it at Man United 100% on Sunday if they press and I'm sure they will I'm sure they'll go into the game full of confidence and, and rightly so looking at their results uh, Varane will come back into the team I presume obviously we are recording this before the press conference but I think he'll be back I expect him to um, he'll be alongside Lissandra Martinez at centre-back and they've been really impressive actually I think they've been really good Casemiro came in at evident he's actually not played as much as he as probably fans thought he would but he was outstanding at Everton. He made an early mistake. So he'll be he'll be key in that game. Because if Newcastle are pressing and there'll be that midfield battle um, with Bruno, obviously, who knows Casemiro very well from, from uh, national duty. But Casemiro was brilliant at Everton. And I think if he delivers a performance like that again, he'll be key in kind of 
stopping Newcastle's threat going forward. Uh, that, that's the refreshing thing from a Newcastle point of view is that you, you're talking about some really top-class players in this My United team. But now you look at the Newcastle United team and there are some players who who I think would quite easily fit into it to a top four, top five side. Someone like Bruno Gomes, who you've mentioned there, Alan St. Maxim on his day. And it's, it's these players in Newcastle are trying to build their, their, their side around. And, and after 14 years of Mike Ashley and always waking up and thinking he's going to sell on the best players, it's, 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 it's a nice feeling to know that there's some ambition in Newcastle United. Um, we are recording this before the Europa League game. How much of an impact are these midweek games having on, on Manchester United's league campaign? Um, I'm not sure about the impact yet. I think that'll be felt maybe in a, f- a few weeks or a few months' time. But it's been interesting. Ten Hogs actually prefer to settle team. Um, I'm sure you'll ask about Martin Dubravka later on the podcast. We might discuss him, but he's actually not played. Um, De Gea has obviously started every game in the Europa League. Um, and he's preferred to kind of keep that momentum going, keep that settled side. I actually interviewed one of his former players, um, from Go Ahead Eagles, if we can, he kind of discussed the same. He said, look, once we got on that kind of win and run, Ten Hag wanted to keep a settled team. So imagine on Thursday night, I think the, the team will be very similar, um, as it will be on Sunday. So Newcastle will have a, an advantage in that regard because, look, it's fresher legs at the end of the day. Going back to what you were saying there about Bruno and, and obviously Mac, Maximin, God, Bruno is a fantastic player. I've, I've watched him quite a bit this season. And I actually wrote a piece, I think it was in January before Newcastle signed him, Basically saying that Man United should try hijack the hijack the deal. That that rustled a few feathers, as you can imagine. But he's a fantastic player. I think Liverpool, Man- Manchester City, Man United are all looking at him now and thinking, God, why weren't we in for him? Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. And obviously Kieran Trippier as well. I'm sure he'll have a, a big performance on Sunday. Man United were in for him. Uh under Solskjaer, he was he was desperate to sign uh Trippier. He had doubts over Juan Basaka, who's really struggled. Um and I think that's definitely one that got away with Trippier in that regard, definitely. Yeah, your Cast United fans are absolutely, you know, buzzing, especially with the two players you've just mentioned there, Bruno and, and Trippier. And I know from a Newcastle point of view, very early on in this journey under this this new ownership, um, interestingly, it's believed that the Saudi part of the ownership actually looked at buying Manchester United, or at least a percentage of it, uh, which is maybe a nice or uh, an interesting little side story to this to this clash. But on terms of the players, um, you know, I Newcastle are hoping in time to be yeah, at the same level as Manchester United, battling in the transfer market for these sort of players. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic works out in the in the, the seasons to come. Do you think, uh, with, with Newcastle's perceived spending power and their ambition that they, they, they clearly have in the boardroom, how would you think Man United are looking at this? Maybe not necessarily this season, but in the years to come, that there is potentially going to be another... Uh, in a, another team at the table, battling for this, battling for the top six, battling for the top four. I mean, everyone can see it, and they'd be lying if they, they say otherwise. It's a massive threat, of course it is, and it? it's another team with, with lots of money that are challenging for Europe, and that means one less position, doesn't it? And if you're dropping the ball and you're not doing things right, which let's face it, Man United haven't over the last ten years made a ton of mistakes, a ton of transfer mistakes, then you're going to become vulnerable. And if there's another team at the table, a club like Newcastle, who have showed over the last what. 20 years back when they had some good times, you know, they can challenge at the top, then, yeah, they're going to be feared. And I think rightly so, to be fair, there seems to be something going on up there, doesn't it? Under, under Eddie Howe, there seems to be a kind of, from the outside, it was a mood mood in the city going on and a, a feeling of momentum. And I think all the top four teams, top six, I think that, yeah, there should be fear in Newcastle because, as I've said, it's another big player, isn't it, coming to the table? Yeah, certainly. And just on the ownership question, 
Um, obviously, it's, it's not confirmed that that's who uh, Alba Marnie was 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 uh, referencing when he did speak last week about looking at other Premier League clubs before they bought Newcastle. But um, you know that Saudi interest has lo- long been touted. Uh, there is a bit of unrest as well, obviously, with with certain sections of the fans towards the Glazers. Um, just talk to us about the ownership and also about that kind of little side story that maybe Manchester United could have been the side owned partly or, or fully by public investment fund if things had gone gone differently. I mean, I think I'll start with a kind of a comparison. The way I view Man United, and obviously Newcastle had um, some many frustrating years under Mike Ashley, it's kind of that on a bigger scale. And people might hear that comment at first and might, might be a bit taken aback. But if you look at it and kind of break it down, you know, from a from an honest standpoint, from a bias standpoint, you can see why I say that. Um, often, the, the thing when I do say that, though, they have obviously spent a lot of money. But the problem is, it's not actually the money that the Glazers have put in. It's the, the money that the club's been generating, which, as I've said, was like Newcastle on a bigger scale, wasn't it? I believe Mike Ashley was, was doing a, a similar approach. I mean, they've spent $1.2 billion over the last 10 years, which is a staggering, staggering amount of money. It's it's it's, it's really eye-watering, but it's not been spent right. Um, the club's mismanaged from from the, the top to the very bottom. The, the people in the boardroom, obviously I'm sure you've, you've heard of Edward, where he's now left, uh, but he was completely out of his depth. We've now got John Murta, who's the, the football director, and there's actually questions over what he actually does. He's supposed to be responsible for first-team recruitment, but it's a mess. It was a circus in the summer. Um, there was a massive pursuit with, with Frankie de Jong all summer, and that was a public embarrassment, that ordeal, and they kind of landed on Casemiro in the end. I was actually at, um, in, I think it was late August before the Liverpool game, it was around 10,000 fans protested against the Glazers. I, I went and reported on that, and that was, it was really impressive, that protest. And it did remind us, actually, of kind of the Ashley protests and the way fans felt. Um, you look at Old Trafford, I went for a run the other week, and the bloody paint was pink on the side of Old Trafford. You know, it's, the roof's leaking inside the stadium. Um, I know Newcastle fans might laugh, but but Carrington has fallen behind massively. Um, it's not quite the photos of those bins that went viral years ago with the ice in the bins, but the, I've obviously I've been to Carrington myself. I know quite a bit about it, and it's not the the, the you know the top training facility that Man, Man United fans want it to be. So that's where the frustration has come from, um, and I can see why people look at it and go, "Well, they have spent money, but it is the money that they're, they're generating." Um, Going back to the point, obviously, with the, the Saudis potentially investing in, in Man United, I talked to a lot of people down here, um, a lot of fans, obviously, about how they feel about that investment. And I was actually talking about it on the weekend. And it's all just a resounding, we don't want that at our club, which is, I can see, obviously, there is advantages and disadvantages and there's issues around it. Um, they are desperate to get the Glazers out, but it has to be the right people that I feel they want to take over their club. Um, but the problem is just, just so few many candidates out there really that could afford a, a three billion pound club like at Manchester United. Mm, and that's the price tag, isn't it? In yeah. in many ways it it shows maybe what a bargain Newcastle United was. And of course you mentioned or you referred, referred to there the or alluded to rather the the issues that come with with co Saudi ownership. And we've covered that uh, last week in our takeover anniversary podcast. So do tune into that if you haven't already. Um, just one final question on on the, the issues off the field, Steve. It, even though, like you say, you've, you've spoken to some fans and they said, no, we don't want that. But when they look at what Newcastle have done in the first 12 months of the new under the new ownership in terms of, you know, just going into the training ground and, and, and you know, the building work started there, you know, starting to even just give the, 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 the stadium a lick of pain, changing the concourses, those little bits of, 
you know, love and care, which matters so much to, to to football fans, I would imagine, in general, when they see their stadium, as you've mentioned there, the, the, the pink paint or the, the stadium roof leaking. Is there a little bit of envy, do you think, when they look across and think, well, yeah, you know, why why can't our owners be doing that? Or where's our new owners who who can see the issues and aren't holding and wouldn't hold back and are going straight in to fix the issues? It's a really interesting question. And obviously, envy is a, an interesting word. I think you look at the, the spending and more particularly in Newcastle, how they're spending the money. I think that's perhaps where the envy would come from. Um, obviously, they've appointed Dan Ashworth and they're getting the right people in the club and they're spending properly and they're making clever signings. And that's not happened to Man United. That's where they've went terribly wrong over the last 10, 15 years or since 2013 when Ferguson retired. Um, with going back to the Saudis and that point, I think it's completely, it's it's personal um, with supporters. Some might welcome the investment. Um, obviously, others wouldn't and, uh, with the issues, obviously, that are out there. Um, but I think the overwhelming majority of supporters that I have talked to down here um, would rather stick with the Glazers which is quite a statement considering how much they're disliked uh, in Manchester then then welcome that investment certainly uh, an interesting uh, view there um just look going back to Sunday and Manchester United if Eddie Howe came to you and he and he said Steve tell me when Manchester United can get can where's their biggest weakness what would you say uh, definitely, definitely the fullbacks. I've just talked about it there. I mean, Diego Dallo, for all he has improved, and I, I actually wrote a piece about him the other week, he's just still not fully convinced. This. Um, I don't think he's a, an elite Premier League fullback by any means. Um, defensively, he's not that good. And if you get at him, I think uh, it was Dan Juma, actually, if you remember, who played for Bournemouth, now plays for, for Villarreal, and he was fantastic in the Champions League last season. Must have given Dallo a nightmare. He'd be going to sleep thinking of Dan Juma that night because honestly, God, he had him on toast. And I think if you have a player of St. Maximum's quality, um, we also have also what he can do in his days, his quick feet, his pace, his skill. He's fantastic. Um, he's a player that Man United fans would love to have. And I've I've saw them talk about that actually. Um so he, yeah, Dallo is definitely a vulnerable point. Uh at the other side, actually, as well, you've got Luke Shaw in, in Malasia. Malasia was actually brought off at half time against Manchester City and against uh, Umunia again in the Europa League. So to get brought off at a half-time in two games in a row. That just shows how much he kind of regressed in those two games. Luke Shaw came in against Everton. I thought he had a really good game. He was one of the better players, but he needs to find consistency. Um, and he, that's that's been his biggest problem. So the fullback area, hugely. Um, so that'll be an interesting battle in midfield. You've got, Newcastle have got the quality now. Bruno, we, we also matched the day, that clip on the, on the weekend um, against uh, Brentford, sorry. And he was fantastic. So, He'll be up against Christian Eriksen, Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro. So that'll be an interesting battle. But I think the fullback area particularly, I think that's where Newcastle could definitely find some joy. And obviously, the Sandra Martinez, a lot was made about his height. He's been fantastic, to be fair to him. Um, although there was a lot of comments about how small he was. I think he's five foot nine, which is obviously not the tallest for a Premier League centre-back. So maybe early as well, if you've got Dan Byrne coming in from a corner, because uh, he's a big lad. There's loads of potential. Well, I'd say loads. There's probably two or three question marks over potential changes. Dan Byrne being one of them, whether he brings in Matt Target. Dan Byrne didn't have the best of games against Brentford. And obviously, Man United have got the talent to probably punish a similar performance. So I think Matt Target will come in. You mentioned St. Maxwell there. I think with Jacob Murphy being on a, on a wave of confidence, he scored in the last game. He played well against Fulham. I think he might be tempted to leave him in. Anyhow, doesn't really like to change you know, winning sides. And then... You can get to an hour and 
bring Alan St. Maximo off the bench and just inject that little bit of pace into what maybe might be a tired Manchester United side, given their Europa League commitments and given probably the intensity of the game on Sunday. And then you mentioned there, Martinez, is it is it three at the back or is it four at the back for Manchester United? Yeah, it's four, four at the back at the moment, four, three, three. Um, so who, who will be the man to mark Callum Wilson, do you think? <laughs> I would say Varane. I think I'd put uh, Raphael Varane on that one. I think they've been quite clever with the mark and obviously you've got to compromise for Martinez's height. But don't let don't let that deceive you. I think if you watch him on Sunday, if fans are if fans are watching or going to the game, he's a fantastic defender. Um and his attitude, his his tenacity, is kind of he's a you know, he's a bit of an old school in that sense. He'll you'll leave a challenge and he'll put studs and he's a bit dirty. Um he's kind of that South American trademark, you know, fiery inside. So <laughs> he makes up for that with obviously what he lacks in height. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's a, a challenge Callum Wilson will uh, will take on. He's, he's one of those players who likes to wind up the opposition as well. So I think <laughs> a, a fascinating battle. And just in the midfield there, you mentioned, Steve, I was listening to the Monday Night Club on BBC Five Live uh, on, on Monday, and I, I can't remember who the pundit was, but it was a suggestion that uh, he, whoever it was, said they, he would drop Fernandez. He thinks Fernandez would, would, would come out of the, the side. Um is there a, is it working as well as it should do in that midfield? And you know, is dropping Fernandez something that you think potentially could happen? I mean, Fernandez came in obviously uh, January twenty twenty um, from Sport and Lisbon, and he was absolutely sensational. Goals, assists, everything you could imagine. He was fantastic. He's probably the best player in the league at that point on form. And um, he won Player of the Season, and he won it the the season after. But I think last season he definitely wasn't the only one. His form massively dropped off. Uh, his, his passing was poor. His application was disappointing. His, his attitude, fans were starting to get frustrated with that. He's very petulant. I'm sure you've noticed, and um, with the effort refereeing complaining, and it, he's not been, he's not back to those levels yet. But I think he's definitely had a had a better few games in the last few weeks. I definitely wouldn't drop him personally uh, for the weekend. I'd start Fernandez, Casemiro, and Eriksson. Um, but if you're talking about the midfield, you have to talk about Eriksson. He's he's shocked me. He surprised us. We all knew he was a fantastic player. We all knew he was good at Tottenham. Um, but that was operating in number 10, wasn't it? And he was more of a, a creative midfielder, but Ten Hag's playing him in a deeper role. Um, and obviously Fernandez is playing a more advanced role. But Ericsson has been has been really, really good. Fantastic. Um, I think sorry, that's Andrew. where, if I remember correctly, and someone from BBC will probably write in and say you're totally wrong, but I think <laughs> that's where the debate was on, whether you do push, you know, you drop Fernandez and then you push Ericsson forward and then you bring in maybe Fred or Matone to, to fill in that more deeper role. I think that's where the debate was actually on. Yeah, you, you obviously you put Fred in that midfield. Um, if you have Fred Casemiro, who are regular partners with Brazil, and that's a partnership that's obviously not been not been tested yet at Man United this season. Um, but personally, I'd keep it how it is. That first half performance at Everton was actually really good. Obviously, they had the early setback. Casemiro made a mistake. Alex Wobie scored a brilliant goal. Um, but after that, the show had kind of Last season, when they had a setback or you know some disappointment, the players would just would just shrink. The heads would go down, um, and to be two one up at half time uh, within forty minutes to respond like that, I think that was notable. 
Um, and that second half performance, as I touched upon earlier, it showed the kind of mentality shift change in, in, in that squad, I think. Um, the, my mind takes us back to Villa Park, actually, in January, and Man United were 2-0 up um, at Villa Park and looked three points in the bag, and Villa came back 2-2. And I think that's what Ten Hag's changed. It's this steely mentality now that, you know, they can grind out games and not mentally weak. Um, in terms of other players, uh, a lot of attention always seems to be on Ronaldo, one of the world's of best players. When he doesn't start, it, you know, the headlines tend to be on, on on that. Is it a distraction for Manchester United? You know, all the all the attention that surrounds him, whether he starts, whether he doesn't, you know, is it is it a distraction? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm surprised it took 20 minutes. I was laughing when it takes so long to talk about Ronaldo because he's such a talking point. Obviously scored his 700th uh, club career goal against Everton uh, at the weekend. So what a remarkable achievement. There's no words for that really, is there? Um, as much as Ten Hag says he's happy in training and whatnot, obviously he did admit in his press conference um, the other day that he, he obviously is not happy and he's a bit annoyed, a bit cheese, should I say. He used a bit different language, but I'll not use that because uh, we're, we're live. Um, when he doesn't play, um, obviously, he came off the came off the bench, ran through Martial uh, at Everton, and he showed that he's, he's still got his quality. But the problem is with Real, Ronaldo. Obviously, he scored twenty four goals last season. He's top goal scorer, but there's other areas of his game that you have to compromise for. He's not going to do that pressing. He's not going to do that running. Um, so if you put Rashford down the middle, uh, where he's predominantly played this season, um, he, he offers way more, and and that's the kind of style that, that Ten Hag wants to play. He did want to leave in the summer. Um, he's expected to leave at the end of the season. I think I can't, I can't see him leaving in January, but the problem is what, what club's going to kind of afford him. His, his wages are still massive. There was actually an offer from Saudi Arabia um, for Ronaldo. That was the only concrete offer he received in the summer. But it just shows you that Europe's top clubs at the moment, the circumstances, he, he couldn't leave in the summer, really. And that's why he's ended up staying. Very interesting. Uh, very interesting character. Um, what is Manchester United's biggest strength? The kind of the one thing that Eddie Howe will probably have been um, relentless over this week in terms of his preparation you know is it a player they've got to stop is it the way that they play what what is their biggest biggest asset that's an easy that's an easy question Andrew it's counter-attacking um, which is a surprise because you think of Manchester United you think look they should be going in games on the front foot they should be controlling possession but if you look at all the goals I mean even against Everton both of the goals were scored on counter-attacks and they're the most dangerous on counter-attacks um, and I think kind of the way Newcastle, it, it suits Man United actually this game on Sunday because Newcastle are going to go in with a bit more confidence. They're going to go in with a new style and they're going to, they're going to have a go. They're going to take the game to Man United. And I think that does suit Man United because, you know, they can get in, find the space in behind the players. Obviously, I don't know if you said Dan Burner, maybe not to start, but he was definitely a player I was looking at and thinking, God, if, if Anthony's up against him on that side, uh, <laughs> I think that would be, uh, he'd cause some chaos probably, his quick feet. Now, Anthony's not the biggest player, so it would be a bit of a mismatch, but I think his, his quality of, the, of his ball at his feet would, would really make him stand out. But it'd be interesting if Matt Target comes in, obviously, uh, for that battle. Yeah, I, I think he would just simply because of the, the quality Manchester yeah. United Manchester United have. Um, just in terms of how you think Manchester United fans are looking at, at, at this game and looking at Newcastle just as a whole, do you think, you know, if I was asking you this two, three, four seasons ago, the, the the answer would be the same. Do you think you know with all the changes at the, at the boardroom level and, and the kind of the the view of Newcastle in football in terms of as in carrying a threat that, that that's that's the new Newcastle compared to you know where they just rock up at Old Trafford three or four years ago, even two seasons ago, and it'd just be an easy day at the office for, for Manchester United. 
but it was 2013, wasn't it? I think the last time Newcastle won at Old Trafford, I think it was a goodbye and, and those yeah. kits, the, the mustard kits. And then, um, do you know, the last time, the last time after that, I don't know the year, but it was we've just discussed it, um, uh, on, on, on the, the previous podcast. There, it was the uh, in the 70s after Newcastle had that embarrassing uh exit to Hereford in the FA Cup, and a week later they went to Manchester United and won. 2-0. So that was 1972 there. Jesus, so it's almost 40 years. I mean, it's it's not going to ever take that long again, is it? That's the thing. Uh, you've talked about it earlier on the podcast. Old Trafford's lost that kind of aura. Uh, teams don't fear Man United. That's just the truth going into games um, anymore. But I think on the from a Man United viewpoint, I think they'll give Newcastle a lot more respect, not just the obviously the players and the manager, but fans going into the game. They will expect to win and they will want the team to win, obviously. And anything other than three points will be a bit of a disappointment. But there is a lot of respect for what Eddie Howe's doing. And there's a lot of respect for, for Newcastle's performances. They've just scored nine goals in the last two games. So you've got to show them respect. It would be, be foolish not to. Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a really, really entertaining game for, for the neutral. And I always ask our guests on The View from the opposition to give a score prediction. So how is it going to go? I mean, I should I should have known I was going to be asked that question. Um I'll go with I'll go with two one Man United, Andrew. That's the uh, the scoreline I'll go for Sunday. I'm gonna go. Right. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go two two. I said I think Newcastle will win, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go two one Newcastle United. I think it'll be a pretty close game. And I think there'll be plenty of chances. In fact, actually, no. There was one thing I did want to ask you. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> Recovered, Martin Dubravka, because I know. A lot of our uh, listeners will be wondering just what on earth has has gone there. He's he's gone from second choice at Newcastle United to well, not even second choice at Manchester United. And I, is that because there's, a, there's an injury? What, what what's gone on? That's the thing. I was watching him. We were talking about him when he's warming up at Everton, and it almost felt like his first choice actually, <laughs> behind Tom Heaton, which is which is bizarre, and it is turning into a bizarre low move. Um, I, I we we expected them. You know, he talks to the club. He, he, we expected them to play um, some Europa League matches and obviously the, the cup competitions, which obviously haven't come around yet. But Ten Hag's preferred to play De Gea. Um, De Bravka actually sustained an injury at the end of September on his national duty, came back to Carrot and got that checked out. He's now returned. He is now fully fit, but I can't I can't see him getting a game at the moment, um, which is obviously it's very strange, isn't it, really? And obviously they've got the, the obligation to buy if he plays a set amount of, of Premier League games for, I think it's six million. In the pay Newcastle the, the two million loan fee, but that's definitely not going to get triggered, is it? At this rate, hundred percent. So yeah, a really bizarre loan move, I think, at the moment. That's the kind of way it's viewed down here. Yeah, it's viewed up here as well. On hindsight, I think people respected the fact he wanted to leave, although they couldn't quite understand the fact that he'd be going from second choice to second choice, and it hasn't worked out that way. Um, and obviously, obviously, couldn't play anyway on Sunday with being the parent club. Yeah, just a very strange one. Not even starting in the Europa League games has caught a lot of Newcastle fans by surprise. But been an interesting one to watch. This has been the Everything is Black and White podcast, the view from the opposition with Steve Wilson from the Manchester Evening News. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep a date with all the latest Newcastle United news, including Eddie Howe's press comments on Friday and coverage of the game through our dedicated live blog on Sunday.